Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. Today, Manchester City are the kings of energy drink once again with their third consecutive League Cup win. We ask why Pep Guardiola loves this trophy more than everyone else put together. Liverpool fall into a Watford trap as their incredible unbeaten streak comes to an end at the Hornets' nest. Will it motivate Klopp's team for the rest of the season or just sort of bum them out? Then we've got a less-than-classic Classico coronavirus affecting Syria A and the best-worst managerial touchline behaviour. Plus, just two weeks more to take advantage of our special offer for half-price subscriptions to the Telegraph Sport website. Stick around until the end to hear more. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined, as we have become accustomed to by JJ Bull. How are you, JJ? I am good, Tom. I had a lovely weekend off. It was fantastic. Lovely. You sound a little bit low-key. Oh, do I? Yeah. Should uh, we bring it up a notch? Yeah. Great. There we go. I'm on the game now. Let's <laughs> warm up. That's it. Okay, we'll get there. Alongside him, as has also become tradition in the audio recording facility, it's Mina Rizuki. What's going on, Mina? Hi, I'm tired. Oh, no. I know. What's happened? Uh, it's just been like a, a weekend of conspiracy theories. Yes. And basically it just, yeah, classic. Yeah. I'm just yeah. tired. Okay. All right. Well, it, it's a really happy start. Yeah, it's a fair... <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully our wow. final our <laughs> final panel member is going to bring the energy. It's the world's greatest man, Jim White. How are you, Jim? I'm flying, Tom. Yeah, fantastic. Oh. Fantastic. Flying without headphones as well. Oh, right. Which, uh, oh, do I, I, they need to put headphones Well, it's, com- it's completely up to you, no, Jim. Right. I mean, this, are you, this is a fantastic little display here of oh, Jim trying to find his headphones. Right. That are they right were right in front, right of, in front of me. <laughs> Spectacular work. Let's Magnificent. Start, <laughs> let's start with the League Cup final, which I think it's fair to say was a much better game than... We were expecting Manchester City seeing off Villa in the end 2-1. I thought Villa really stepped up in this one, JJ. Did you think anyone played particularly well for them or was it a team effort? I looked at John Percy's ratings in our paper on Monday morning and it was a lot of 6 out of 10s for Villa. But uh, it was a good team performance, if not necessarily one for um, sparkling original uh, displays from their players. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think everyone knew Man City were going to win it (laughs) from the start. Well, the, it, was a, it was a strange weekend, wasn't it? I was yeah. wondering if this would be the complete the hat trick of uh, teams um, low in the table, seeing off teams high in the table. Ah, oh, they had them. I know. I mean, I feel like City had had, had control of the game. Villa did better than maybe you'd have hoped, but then that's when you're thinking about what happened in the last Cup final City played, and he just destroyed Watford. Uh, Grealish was decent. Tyron Mings been back really helps. Villa are just quite. A, they're, they're fine, but they're just not. I mean, that's why they're struggling in the league as well, right? They're just, they do often put in these six out of ten performances and if the players aren't amazing, then that's not good enough to, to beat teams like Man City. I wonder if anyone can destroy Watford now. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, we'll get on to Watford. Oh, yeah. that, that. Um, what about City, Mina? Some of the understudies were in for them, Phil Foden, Claudio Bravo and Zinchenko. Um, who impressed you most out of those players? 
I, obviously, Ferdinand. Yeah, he was a great um, game. He was just uh, unbelievable. Also, I think it's always interesting that when you have a, a younger player who's coming through the ranks, because there's always this desire to prove themselves. Um, sometimes what you get with Stars or Galacticos when they play a lot of games, it all just becomes a little bit boring after a while. They're not, not as motivated. And then you throw on a child and he's like, oh, he's not really a child, but you know what I mean. And he's just He has like, a child okay. as well. <laughs> <laughs> Does he? Yeah. I didn't know that. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm here to show you that I can totally be the heir to whoever it is that, you know, the thousands of midfielders that have come before me and I can really show you what it's like. And I thought that he was fantastic. But I didn't think Jack Grealish was fantastic. No, a bit of an off day. Villa, uh, which is quite unusual. Maybe he was trying too hard. And that's when you... Do you think that's what it is? Could be. It could also be that City... I didn't really notice anything they did in particular to try and put him off, but I'm sure Guardiola did something with the players that it would have been specifically to make sure that Grealish can't play. So clever that it was impossible for the human eye to see it. From <laughs> yeah. if, you were, if you were watching that game with an eye to what England is going to be like in uh, June, um, you'd think Foden's got a much better chance than Grealish. Um, partly because he's playing. Uh, yeah, definitely. Grealish, I'm not sure Grealish is going to fit into... Um, uh, uh, it, 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 into the plans that England have and I think Foden would fit much better um, also I think Foden's the future without question I think Guardiola thinks he's the future he just treats him with such cotton wool surely it's time to let the lad have a decent run give him five games not a big game give him five games run of the mill yeah, games you're not going to win the league right so no. you might as well just uh it's 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 funny because I, I know that I always get like a lot of like flack and I always seem to be criticizing Pep and this is not the route that I want to take. But I do want to mention that it's very strange for a team that had 70% possession, had 22 shots on goal for them to have looked nervy at the end. And Yeah, Villa did come very close to equalising. Mm. And, and Villa played honestly about 10 minutes of football. Um, <laughs> like, I mean, they were, they were pretty poor, right? You know, like they were hanging on for such vast amounts of time. This is the beauty of City. Like they just control so well, and, and and it's just like JJ just said. They they have this ability to to control every game, each Champions League, the highest games, the better opponents, whoever it is. You always can rely on City to control the match and to impose their style. But can you really ever sort of rely on them to get that win? And and I, there was a part of me that I was like, oh my god, oh my god, defend, defend. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Not that I had you know a desire for them to win over Villa or anything, but it's that that scares me about them. And that's why, that's what it is with City. What scares you about them is their defence. That's yeah, partly it, the just... problem. I mean, uh, John Stones, again, we're talking about um, people auditioning for uh, the Euros. It's going to be played at Wembley. You don't want John Stones slipping over when the uh, the opposition <laughs> make a rare attack. Could you see any reason for that? Was it it's so it funny just, the way he just falls it's off? Really, it's like it looked, like he'd been, looked like he'd been sniped in the video. No, yes. no, so no, no. just switched him off. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and just power down in the middle of the game. It, it just doesn't look quite right, John Stones, does he, when he plays? I, I didn't think it was a terrible game apart from that slip necessarily. But yeah, yeah it's, it, you can't make enormous errors like that if you are looking for a place in the it England makes squad. Time. I yeah. don't even know how this guy continues to to like have such a, and, and, and Pep speaks that he's got this great character and, you know, off the pitch and he has all this, you know, anger and, and, and confidence in himself. But it, I don't see it when he's playing. Well, yeah. the trouble is he's got at least one catastrophic error in him every single game. He's so good on the ball. This is the other thing. He's really good with the ball at his feet. Some of the long passes he was playing in the, in the final were, were like super mm. switching the play, confident when he brings it out. But there, there is always that one mistake. mistake. I don't know what age that stops happening. Like uh, I think Gary Neville said in Coolcoms that you can't, you cannot get away with doing this again and again and again. And it does seem to happen every time he plays that something goes wrong, and you don't know what. Where does he go after Man City? Cause Abroad, it, wouldn't wouldn't he be the perfect yes. sort of player to go and I have, do, have I do a spot in Italy or Spain? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had a, I had an interesting conversation with a, a a Premier League coach who was saying that the under twenty three system in uh, the, the the game. Um, really doesn't help stopping mitigating mistakes because they're told when they play, don't worry about mistakes. Mm -hmm. If you want to bring it out, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. When players go out on loan, they suddenly uh, come across, you know, they're playing in League One, they make a mistake and everyone screams blue murder at them and they're not quite sure what goes. No, surely mistakes don't matter. 
No, no, I, I'll carry on playing as I have and it'll be all right. That's why... what they've been coached in. And Stones is the absolute epitome of that. A brilliant passer, brilliant player bringing the ball out. But when mistakes happen, it's almost as if, oh, it doesn't matter. Give him to Chris Wilder. I really believe that, you know, <laughs> oh, yes, Wilder, that, Wilder will do a job on him. I think we should have Wilder, like, take care of our kids, you know, because he's the kind of guy who's just not going to be like, oh, yeah, this is just a game, you know, let's partake. You're back, listen, son, that was a huge mistake. Get out of my team. You know, he's he's one of those guys, and I think you need that in, at a young level. I don't like this whole thing of just play. It doesn't matter if you make a mistake. Eventually, we'll you know, knock that out of you. I don't think so. I, I, I see where you're coming from. Jim, and I, I think that that needs to change. Chris Wilder, Mina Rizuki's solution to everything. Everything. What about Pep Guardiola, JJ? Unlike most managers in his position managing teams, the size and the talent level of Manchester City, he really seems to take this competition seriously three in a row now. Why does he take it so seriously? Well, he wants to win stuff. And I think winning breeds like that mentality that you want to win more and you need to set up. like, like Sissy's, I know they're an old club, but it's relatively new that they've been able to win stuff. So trying to turn them into this uh, huge club that can beat the likes of Real Madrid, you need to make sure that they act like winners. Like you know, you always associate Manchester United with being winners because they won so much stuff during the during the nineties, etc. But I think it's good he does this and takes it seriously because then it just makes him seem like a legit operation and not just I don't know. It, the game is about winning trophies, right? That's meant to be the, what the thing is, and that's what he does. And it makes him look successful as well. There's something about the timing of the League Cup final as well, in that it's just at the point of time when the the, the business end of the season is just getting underway. And you know, Jose Mourinho used to do this when he was at uh, Chelsea. Win the League Cup gives you the momentum to mm. drive on, belief uh, and kind of energy uh, for the rest of the season. I think I think it's... I think in Guardiola's mind, Guardiola is such a planner that he's looking, right, that's a peak. We need to hit that and that will push us forward for the for the remainder of what matters the rest of the season. I always wonder how you celebrate winning the League Cup. Do you think the players are out on the lash on Sunday <laughs> night after that? I think Villa were. <laughs> <laughs> Some might say Villa were out on the lash on Saturday night. <laughs> Let's move on to a team that definitely celebrated on Saturday night, and that is Watford, who put an end to Liverpool's unbeaten run. You wouldn't have guessed it would end like this, Jim. You were there. What was it like? Oh, it was extraordinary. I mean, I'd seen Watford the previous Sunday uh, at Manchester United, and you could see they were a good team. You could see they've got good players. Um, it made a big difference having Ismail Assar in. He's very quick and they used him brilliantly. What was amazing about that performance was, JJ will probably tell me I'm completely wrong on this, but it seemed to me uh, that Nigel Pearson thought the tactics through brilliantly. Uh, what they did was they just stopped Robertson and Alexander-Arnold. I mean, I've never seen Robertson and Alexander-Arnold look so actually pointless in a game. They, they, they just, they, except and Adlet as well. Basically, how they stopped it is, I think a lot of other teams have put sort of tried to put three or four players out wide. What they did was they controlled the centre of the midfield and Hughes and Decore just did not give anyone any room to spread the ball out wide. So, Robertson and Alexander-Arnold were virtually spectators for much of that game, <laughs> which right. is really odd. Come on, Johnny Tactics. How right or wrong is Jim White, according to JJ Ball? <laughs> well, yeah, but it's, it's all, um, you can interpret it in lots of different ways. I think Very the, polite way of saying that. You're not, you're not right, no, Jim. No, but, I'll, I'll get my count. <laughs> sorry, that's not what I make him across as. It, it's correct. But the, the, the shape is... I mean, there's a different defensive shape to attacking. The defensive shape was like 4-4-2 higher up the pitch to show the ball wide. And as soon as they would drop back, they had quite a low block. Dini stayed higher up to keep the centre-backs further back. Uh, and then they would drop to like a back six. So the, the back four stayed quite narrow. And then the two wide players, so Saar and, um, and Diolofio, would drop further back to make it almost a six. And that way you've got Robertson and... Um, uh, Alexander-Arnold covered, yeah, on, on the wings that way. And then... Uh, Ducuri would drop from his sort of 10 positions. He was an 8 in some positions and he's 10 in others. But he'd drop into a midfield 3. So they've got the middle of the pitch blocked as well. And so there's just no room. The ball went wide. Uh, the wing, the fullbacks couldn't do anything with it. So it has to go back inside. And there's a block there in the midfield. So it has to get hit up. And also, uh, Troy Deeney had Dean Lovren just all over the place. He Troy was... Deeney said before the game that they'd taken heed from Tyson Fury. I think he meant <laughs> by going out on the front foot. But it looked as though uh, Lovren had gone 
10 rounds with the heavyweight champion afterwards. Yeah. He was battered. He couldn't get close to him. I mean, the, the, the first goal, the, the throw-in that comes in, and then, is it the first one or the second one? Well, there's one where Lovren spots Dini, because Dini makes sure he goes in front of him, so he follows it, and it's a it's like bait, and he falls for it and follows him out, and then the ball drops over the top of both of their heads, because Lovren can't jump past Dini. And you can see that Fabinho turns straight away and like, what are they, what do you do that for? <laughs> that's how that's how that goal comes from. Weird that they can see the two goals from throw-ins as well, Liverpool. Yes. They're, they're focused they on the and coaching they, they've, it. They've, got a, they a, they've got a throwing coach. They need a defending throw-ins coach. <laughs> yeah, yeah really. they do. I, I do it, feel sorry. Yeah. It all sounds very simple, Mina, when, when, you, when you hear JJ and Jim talk about it in that way. Why haven't more teams been able to do this against Liverpool? I think that, to be honest, there is timing. I think that mm. Liverpool are a, a type exactly. of side that, uh, you know, for, for the longest time I thought, God, after their summer, they're just going to fall apart because they're just exhausted. But they are a team in many ways, like actually Chorus and is Atleti. They like to play often. Um, they don't need to rotate that much. They're, they're key members. It's all about the electricity. So it's strange because after a sort of break last year, they had a lot of draws. And after a break this year, it seems like they might have lost a little bit of their rhythm. It's been now, what, two games, um, you know, Atletico and this, in which the forward line hasn't really managed to muster a, a single shot. I think having Lovren back meant that Van Dijk didn't know whether or not to help his fullback or to help Lovren. So he was kind of just caught in the middle the whole time, not knowing what really to do. Um, so... I, as had he played with Lovren a little bit more, I feel like he would have known that. Known that, but the defensive shield wasn't there without Henderson as well. Fabinho hasn't He's been a big at his. Loss, I think Henderson's last two games, so they let in two against West Ham, and then they struggled to create anything here. And I think it might just be Henderson's influence on the pitch. Mm. The levels have dropped slightly. Yeah, slightly. It's just normal because also yeah. Fabinho isn't really. I don't know, he's just not like pushing it from all, you know, hitting it from all cylinders. But I, I don't think this is anything to, to worry about necessarily. But I do want to quote Lovren because, it, you know, this man means a lot to me. Um, <laughs> and I just want to just want to tell you something that he said after Croatia beat England. I took Liverpool to the final of the Champions League. I took Liverpool, yes. <laughs> and now with my national team, we are in the final of the World Cup. People should recognise that I am also one of the best defenders in the world and not just talk nonsense. Well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, he's like Stones. He's really good in the ball. He's got certain things, but maybe it's because he's not played enough. There was a few... I went through this game this morning looking for what the problems were and shape and stuff like that. But Lovren just often is about two yards, five yards out of position where I think he should be um, in, in the, the bat line like he gets caught out a lot with oh he's hugging bits. them all and he's, he's, he was putting the ball out for throws when he could have taken a touch there was Liverpool a lot of the players were just a little bit off in that game and Watford didn't do anything particularly genius like every team does stuff like this against Liverpool but they just couldn't but it, it, it worked because Liverpool yeah. I, 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 it it's very hard to say who played well for Liverpool. Mm -hmm. All of them were off at the same time. The irony, if Mina's right, that they they fade after uh, a break, given how much Klopp was an advocate for the break, mm. is it, huge. Klopp was very the keen players afterwards. players deny that, though. They, players deny they, players they deny really that. needed the break. And Klopp was very keen afterwards to suggest that complacency isn't a part of it. He, you know, these guys work incredibly hard. We, we're, we're not complacent. He wasn't having that. But I think psychologically, it's really tough to get mm. yourself up every time when you're 22 points in the lead. Yeah. And it's, well, we should expect them to have an off day. They're yeah. still yeah. an absolutely, absolutely. fantastic Yeah, I, I wanted to just make sure we're not completely uh, ruining Liverpool for one defeat and just putting this into context. Yeah, um, yeah. 44 games unbeaten in the top flight. If you look at the Euro European records for that. There's only four teams that have had longer unbeaten runs. Juve, 11-12, uh, Arsenal, the invincible season, Bayern Munich under Pep and AC Milan, 1991 to 1993, uh, with the longest unbeaten streak. This is a historically brilliant side, this Liverpool team, Mina. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's this is what I mean. I mean, you have one off day because, and I do think psychology is so important. I just feel like sometimes when you just know you're so superior and for it to come against a team that's fighting relegation, it was a case of, you know, Oh, come on. I mean, trying to gear yourself up all the time, it must be exhausting, especially sometimes when you're lacking your captain to be like, come on, guys, you know, let's try to do this again. They already did that comeback on Monday against West Ham. So it's a little bit like this just gets too much. But they've been, they are a side. What I love about them is I love a side that doesn't necessarily always play well, but you rely on them to get the win. I don't like sides that always play well and then you're like, 
oh, but there's still that defensive chink, you know? No, with, with Liverpool, it doesn't matter whether they're having a good day or a bad day. They tend to always win. They didn't on this occasion, but it's like one out of, like you said, one after 44. It's very bad timing, though, isn't it, Mina, for a team? You know, they've, they've won the Premier League, obviously. But, you know, there's two big competitions coming up. They've got Chelsea in, in the Cup. And you think, gosh, if they can't get themselves up for that, are they going to get themselves up for the Cup? Is he going to play his first team anyway? And then they've got Atletico in the uh, in the Champions Anfield? League. I know it's at Anfield. And, 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 you know, Liverpool fans will be hoping they get themselves. It's a very bad bit of timing to have your off period just now. Yeah. But I do it? have to say, though, I think it's a little bit bizarre that not many people have tried this... I thought what what Atleti did really well was just force them to beat them with their midfield creativity. You know, like we're going to block all the chances for you and try to beat us with your with those three and three guys in the middle. And I it kind of seemed that way as well with Watford. Yeah, other people have tried it. I mean, Man United did 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 a kind of had a false nine and put people out wide when they played them and drew nil nil. <laughs> they tried yeah. it when they they lost at Anfield. Other people have tried it. The, the thing is, this time Liverpool weren't up for overcoming it. And I think you're absolutely right, Mina. Uh, you know, it is flipping hard to play a team as determined as Watford w- were when you really haven't got anything to go for. Who have a right flank with all that pace. Mm. Well, I'm sure Liverpool will come again. It'd be interesting if they do go out of those two competitions in quick succession. We do sometimes see these little spells uh, un- undo teams quite quickly. I wonder how that will feel if they win the league, finally, after all these years, but they're out of the other two. Anyway, I think they're going to try everything they can to do something in the FA Cup now. Yeah, I think you might be dead right. We'll get on to it a little bit later on. Hello. Sorry to interrupt your podcast. I just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about another programme from The Telegraph. I'm Ben Riley-Smith, The Daily Telegraph's US editor. And I've spent the last year exploring the scandal over links between Donald Trump and Russia for my new podcast, Crossfire. What I found was an extraordinary untold story that kept coming back to Britain. The big gorilla in the room was, would Trump want to meet Putin? Would Putin then meet Trump? And he said, uh, and in any case, the Russians might use some material that they have on Clinton. This is dangerous. This is really dangerous. I've been tracking down those directly involved, from Washington to Cambridge to Belgravia, to try and find out what really happened and what it can tell us about this year's election. So we're looking at the backdrop of Russia. We're looking at what they might be trying to do for our elections. Over six episodes, I will unpack it all, chunk by chunk, through the voices of those with direct knowledge. Most people didn't even want to talk to me. I'm a guy getting death threats. I'm a guy whose life has been totally turned upside down. I will tell you this, whoever it was, I hope they get punished for it. That's in Crossfire, available now wherever you downloaded this podcast. Let's rattle through the rest of the Premier League now. Let's start with your team, Jim. Manchester United, very fortunate to come out with a point at Goodison Park on Sunday. Uh, Joel Grove, with regret, please start the VAR timer. <laughs> Explain this line of sight argument for De Gea and that goal being ruled oh, out. Oh, come on, Tommy. He was completely blocked by a cheating... <laughs> Let's do a quick vote. Who believes that? Uh, I don't believe that. It seems really like a very, very... Um... Well, particularly since it came off a, a, a defender's foot anyway, which normally... Completely, it, it doesn't matter whether someone's offside if it comes off a defender's foot normally. So you think it's a bad choice, Tim? I, you, I mean, I, no, I, I, thought, he, I, I thought he was blocking his view. Tom, you think it was a bad decision that he was? No, I, I thought I, that it was I, a legitimate goal. I thought it was a goal. Yes, I agree with you, Jim. I don't think it's a goal. Um, I, I, I'm not trying to sit on the fence. I can just see exactly why it would be allowed and why it wouldn't. Oh, just make a decision. Want someone else to make the decision. A lot of Twitter detectives out there saying, "Look, look at the lines from his eyes that are definitely going in this exact direction." And people were saying, "Oh, but why was he moving to that side if he couldn't see it?" And I'm like, "Because naturally, you're always going to move towards where you think the ball is." I don't. I don't know. I loved it. I loved it right on match of the day. Saying, "Why didn't you get up? Yeah, but I why is he just sitting there?" I'm like, "What are you doing? Are you like tanning?" (laughs) I think we've moved on from the VAR discussion. We're just into tanning chat instead. Uh, Anyway, this is why we have a timer because it doesn't lead to anything good. Anyway, a more exciting game, possibly. No, definitely at Tottenham, uh, where they went in front twice against Wolves and were pegged back and eventually beaten three-two. I'm interested in what Mourinho's doing with Troy Parrott. 
JJ because he keeps being asked about him. Why don't you throw him in? And he keeps saying he's not ready. Mm-hmm. At some point, isn't this hurting Troy Parrott's confidence just to be told again and again and again, no, you're not ready? And then in the end, he was thrown on in this desperate situation against Wolves. Uh, I mean, some players can just come into this first team, right? And then they just to suit it. But I would believe Jose Mourinho, he thinks the player isn't... I mean, he's been around the block. <laughs> yeah. He knows but, what he's but, doing. But it's the tone of what he's saying about it. Like, he keeps saying he's not ready, you know. And it's red, it's, it's almost like he's, you know, chipping away at his confidence. Maybe, but then that's... Oh God, that seems to have been sort of his style of man management. He wants people to be revved up to prove him wrong. He wants people to be angry, to like, I'm going to prove you wrong. That's what he wants to do. Rather than trying to hold their hand and, and, and walk them through things. I mean, you could see the way he treated some of the players at Manchester United when he was there. It's just pretty much throwing them out to be exposed to everyone then they've got to deal with it because he wants those kind of characters it just comes across as this really calm and collected guy you know like very much like unbothered because he's very sure of himself and I feel like Mourinho likes the kind of guys that are just really desperate you know uh, yeah, I think that's what it is. He wants the the fighters. He wants yeah. like a dog fight and all his players. And you sometimes maybe you get with young players that they're not like the same thing. If they've been told the whole time you don't have to make mis- you know you make mistakes, it's fine because you're learning. And then you go into the big leagues and a little mistake, little positional error, and you you cost your team. Or maybe a parrot is just so technically gifted and and football intelligent that he doesn't need to be any of those. Things. I mean, he's he's like. Is he 17, I think, Troy Parrott? He's an Irish Irish striker. He's uh, been highly rated for a long, long time. Doesn't mean he's ready yet. I mean, you can't think of many footballers coming at 17 to the Premier League and instantly. I mean, Michael Owen was one example, but he was a freak. He was a Ballon d'Or winner, wasn't he? And you've got. Yeah, Mbappe. There are these players come through, but then Parrot's meant to be more of a of a nine. I've watched him play under 23s games in the the Champions League. I can't remember the name of the younger thing is. Seems like a decent uh, penalty box kind of player. So. It, maybe it's just not what they need now and you can't put the responsibility of being a striker what if he goes in and he has a couple of bad games and that's his confidence dented like oh I'm not at this level like, I'm not and uh, that's what you see and if you're carrying the game from the start then you're just maybe wasting your striking power that you wanted to have on it I don't know I, I would I know Mourinho's not been, got a great record with, with young players like, I don't think Marcus Rashford would have got his debut under Mourinho for example that Louis van Gaal did but that was due to injuries as well there's all these circumstances and you can't possibly say that would be the case If you push Mourinho he's just likely to be more stubborn so the more you ask him about Parrot I just feel like it's more like going to be a point where he's going to be like listen it's my way you know mm. also, I, I, the, also with Mourinho you've always got to think there's a wider um, thing going on a wider political motive uh, behind it which I is uh, I'm uh, I'm absolutely bereft of strikers I'm going to have to buy big in the summer and you know if I chuck a guy in and he scores 15 goals then that's <laughs> not going to be what's going to happen is it yeah that, that's actually a great point uh, uh, but he uh, did this with Pedro Leon in Real Madrid that was quite funny a reading of Jose Mourinho that really speaks to someone traumatised by uh, <laughs> spending a lot of time in the managing a club uh, what about West Ham Jim uh, very important win for them against Southampton it felt like they were sinking without trace a little bit but uh, two good performances for them against Liverpool and now Southampton must be such a relief for uh, uh, Bond, Sullivan and Karen Brady uh, that the fans' furious mood isn't being further stoked by poor performances. <laughs> yes, I mean, it, it does undermine uh, a protest, doesn't it? When they've said they're going to get behind the team and they have got behind the team, uh, you know, and it's possible to be behind the team and against the um, against the board. That's that's actually a fairly common thing in, uh, in, in football. Um, it's... Uh, it's a fascinating um, battle going to, uh, on down at the bottom because actually, with the possible exception of Brighton, and I hope Paul Haywood isn't listening at this particular moment, perhaps we could edit that out when we send it to him, is I don't think any of them are bad. I think Norwich are all right. Watford are great. You know, West Ham has started to put some performances together. It's a really interesting down at the bottom of the Do table. Do think Norwich is very good? They're all right. Mm. They've, they, they've got something that... that the teams win. that go down generally don't have, which is a guy who can score goals. So, yeah. you know, they've, they've, they're, they're all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not rubbish. And um, actually, I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's, that's definitely where the most interesting part of the, uh, of the league table is at the moment. I do, I do like, I really enjoy watching Michael Antonio play football. Yeah. I feel like it really is so entertaining to watch. Um, and I love that they're surrounding Haller because he's that kind of guy who loves his teammates close to him and around him. And, and and you saw that in Germany and you're seeing that now. The more you put them close together and he can operate in a cluster going forward, the better West Ham will be. And I feel like Moyes has really gone that and and they're just they're they're quite impressive now for two games in a row. Mm. 
What about Leicester City, Mina? They lost to Norwich City on Friday night. They've only won one in their last six. Champions League football looking a little bit less likely for them. What, what do you put that down to? Vardy. Um, I think that when you had a guy who was just constantly converting everything and everyone was like, oh, God, England have got to call this guy back. You know, like, what a... And he is a terrific forward. And not having him there, um, and, and when he has been there, he hasn't been scoring goals, I think it's a huge loss. I mean, playing without Vardy is much like Spurs without Kane. It, it's like taking away 60% of your team. And and I think that they're really suffering because of that. But. I'm still putting their money money on them being in the Champions League. Okay, fair enough. Uh, it's relevant. I mean, it, it has coincided with him having his baby. <laughs> right. Since he's had his child, he's not really been scoring. I'm not sure that's exactly related to it. But he to get back maybe on the Maybe he's not ball. sleeping. Cooping up sleeping, things like that. <laughs> uh, uh, Rodgers has changed his team around a lot as, as well. He's mixed things up, playing a, a two up front with putting Nacho next to him because I think he knows that Vardy can't handle all the load in his own. But then to play a two, you've got to change the rest of the shape and he plays a back three and there's things that don't quite work with it. Uh, but he used to do that Celtic quite a lot he's playing a back three um, like 3-4-3 three, three normally or 3-5-2 and it's probably helped Leicester that they can do that and be less predictable because everyone knows everyone knew what they were doing for start it started to slow down a wee bit we're playing that 4-1-4-1 four, one, four, one all the time um, always the same system you know playing the ball through the lines and keep it on the ground but um it, yeah, it seems to have been that he's tweaked it a little bit and then they've lost a bit of their momentum well they did it and then when Vardy stopped scoring as well that's where they've started to drop away Tell me about Bournemouth and Chelsea, JJ. Uh, felt a little bit like two points dropped for Bournemouth in the end, a two-all draw down on the south coast. Um, what about Marcos Alonso? Two goals for him. I, I think he's a little bit underrated. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell. He's basically a wing-back, though, isn't he? He's not a left-back. So when they've got all the ball and all they can dominate, then he's quite useful because he ends up being like a striker playing it in defence. He ends up scoring quite a lot with his head, I think, in the last few years. But I think the problem's always been that he's not as strong defensively. I mean, there's lots of examples the last few seasons where he's been caught out positionally, uh, especially on like set pieces, even just standing in the wrong place. I can't remember. There was one really obvious one where he was, st- and I can't remember which one it was last season anyway. But yeah, I don't know. Or if he's, against Ajax. Maybe. Oh, is it maybe against Ajax? I, I can't remember. There's there's examples of it. I think he's a decent player, but he's an attacking player. So he's one of these. This is what it is. Yeah. He's an attacking player. Like this is why he gets such good goals. But then when you need to rely on him, he's not a guy that's going to come in with a tackle with the interception at the right time. He doesn't read that kind of defensive play very well. He's so geared towards giving you an outlet for the pass, going for the goals. He's got great reactions and reactive um, sense. So when the goal bounces back, he's just there straight away, always the first to it. But defensively, oof. Against Ajax, like you can understand why he hasn't played for ages. But I do like that Lampard gave him his dues and was like, you know, at least he's been training really hard. At least he's, you know, like put his head down. And and I really appreciate that. And he must do. Finally, big result for Palace in the derby that doesn't make any sense between them and Brighton on <laughs> Saturday lunchtime. Um, Brighton in trouble, Jim. Who's going down? Do you think? I I. I just don't, I think Norwich probably are too far adrift, so go with them. I think Brighton are going to get sucked down into it. Um, not sure what they are or where they are. I've seen them a couple of times this season and they were hammered both times. I think they're very vulnerable. Um, and as a third, as a third, you know, let's not rule out Newcastle United at okay. this point. Wait, so you think Villa's going to survive? I think Villa. It depends. It depends what they take from Sunday. If they, if they, as you suggested, were out on the lash <laughs> and are hungover for the no, rest afterwards, of afterwards, not before, <laughs> and are hungover for the rest of the season, um, then no. Uh, if they take from that, listen, we can match the best. We should be there. Um, th- th- then I'm not sure, but you know, it is very, very tight. I think someone's going to get brought back down to it because people like Watford, Bournemouth uh, are going to go on runs and uh, uh, and escape. And Southampton? Yeah. yeah, possibly, possibly. Certainly the bit of the table to be keeping your eye on for the rest of the season. We have some FA Cup games this week. Uh, the winter break means they're not on the traditional weekend uh, in the fixture list and they're happening over the week. Uh, let's, let's have a look at three of them in particular. We can do more if you like as well. We all love the FA Cup. Uh, and we'll start with Arsenal who go to Portsmouth on Monday night. JJ, how wary should Arsenal be about this trip? You can't tell what, Arsenal, what Arsenal's going to turn up. I mean, that losing to Olympiacos... Is yeah, they should that should not have happened. No, um, and things like this is the kind of thing like Aubameyang's clearly a world class player, but then he just 
missed his like final shot in that Olympiacos game. Portsmouth are League One, I think they're sitting third just now, third or fourth. Kenny Jackett's the manager, is quite well travelled, quite well respected amongst coaches. Uh, but there's no, I don't think they're going to trouble them. They're not going to do anything that will, you know, excite them. It'll be more they'll sit in a block and try and hit them on the counter. It's just a kind of go-to tactics what you got. And you'd think Arsenal should be revved up off of the back of that um, Europa League humiliation. But then will they be? Because do they care? Yeah, <laughs> I quite, just don't know. It's a great Portsmouth have got a really good winger called Ronan Curtis, who I saw on the opening weekend of the season when oh, okay. I went to Shrewsbury. Looking forward to watching him this evening. He looked pacey and very skillful. Uh, and I think he might cause Arsenal a few problems. Uh, what about the plum tie of the round, I Mina? Liverpool are at Stamford Bridge facing Chelsea. Uh, will Frank Lampard fancy his chances, especially after Liverpool's result at Watford? Why? Because they were so fantastic against Bournemouth? Mm. Mm. No, okay. No, okay. Uh, <laughs> Bournemouth is one, actually, that I think could go down as well. Um, it's interesting with Chelsea, actually, because, you know, I, uh, a, lot, a lot has been said about them using a three-man back line. Right now, they're just going through this little bit panned period of form. They're not really getting the goals. Giroud, sometimes you're like, oh, wow, why, would we be, ha- why haven't we been playing him? And then you play him and then you're like, oh, that's why we haven't been playing him. <laughs> it kind of goes you know, back and forth. You know, Sometimes they're fantastic to watch, but they're without a lot of their talents. You don't know if they can rely on Callum hudson Adoy. Um, There's still sort of a disconnect between defence and, and going forward. Um, I don't know how much Lampard loves his defence. That's the problem. Liverpool is Liverpool at the end of the day. I, I think that even if it's an under-23 side, they they might be even more motivated than the senior team. Um, but I do think that Klopp will try to make a huge effort on this because they're licking their wounds. They want to come back with a bang. Um, so I don't know who's going to be played, but I don't think it's going to be this sort of like um, just, you know, complete sort of res- reserve team. So I, I'm interested to see that because after Atleti and after this, they're going to want to they want to, want to to do something special. That switch to the three. Sorry, Jim. That switch to the three quite interesting to me for Lampard because he's basically changed his entire system to because he's got Giroud to put in the team. Because when he plays his normally a 4-2-3-1 or a three in the middle, he has Tim team, team Abraham kind of leads the press and shows the ball and you know, that's what they've got up front. Mm. But he doesn't seem to, I think it's more that he's not in love with his wingers. He doesn't like the wingers he's got. That's why he's got Ziyech coming in in the, in the summer and stuff like that. But they, so obviously if you play Giroud, then he's best at taking the ball out of the air, which means you need to have the ball wide from crosses. But we don't have your wingers. You need width from somewhere else and you use your full backs. So we have full, uh, sorry, wing backs. And then you need, if you have wing backs, you've got to play three centre backs. So everything's built around having to get Giroud in that team and probably this is what it is they don't create as many in. they don't create as many offensive chances with the three at the back no because then like, crossing the ball into the <laughs> box is so it's just one of those dice roll things it's so easy to defend against I mean you hardly ever see goals scored from headers do you like, it's, it's normally second ball chances that you get when you throw the ball in the box like that it's better when you play through the lines and you, but then you get, I guess you can get Mount and someone like Barkley into 10 positions as well when that is that system as well it's something that he's had to change it completely rather than sticking to what he was doing earlier in the season and what he did at Derby. I don't think he ever at Derby played a, th- a three. It was always a. Um, Do you not feel like he's falling out of love with them? It's almost like Lampard started the season being really in love with his team, and then there's a part of you that's just a little bit like. Oh. It, it feels like Lampard's interesting. It feels to me like you can only really make an assessment on him once the season's finished. It's been so up and down. It's, yeah. it's, it feels like it's been a season of about six different parts, and mm-hmm. I think it'll be. We'll dedicate, really we'll dedicate a show to it at the end of the season. Can, the can I go Lampard back to something report. that you said, Tom, about yes, Liverpool? Of course. Uh, let's let's just uh, suggest that I think you're right that Liverpool are going to go full, well, pretty close to full strength on Tuesday. I'll probably be proven oh, absolutely wrong. I'll tell you why. Neil Critchley, mm. uh, their under-23 manager, who's been on the touchline in Lovin. their last couple of uh, um, rounds, uh, looking after the, the young team, has just gone to Blackpool to be the new manager at oh. uh, Blackpool. Um, so he probably thinks, oh, there's no point being at Liverpool anymore. I'm not going to get any more exposure. Mm-hmm. No one's going to be interested in the under-23s. It's all over. And he's taken his moment and gone to Blackpool. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. May not be a hint. May yeah. be absolutely <laughs> irrelevant. I love it. I love it, Jim. What about Wayne Rooney? Jim, his Derby team will host his old team, uh, Manchester United, this week. Fresh off a week for Wayne Rooney in which he assisted a QPR goal, the winning goal for QPR against Derby. Uh, very amusingly, <laughs> at Loftus Road last Tuesday night. Um, 
how's his standing with the Man United fans at this point? There's a sense he left with a slightly sullied reputation because he because he agitated for a transfer twice to get more money. Um, but is he is that faded now? Is he just the hero? Uh, you know, I think the reaction is would would have been very different if United were still mired in the pre-Bruno mess that they were in. Now that there's a little bit of optimism about the place, I think they'll be much more benevolent towards Wayne Rooney. The travelling fans will. Uh, give him a hugely uh, warm reception. I mean, he was fantastic for United. He won everything. And actually, in the FA Cup, you could say that he won them the FA Cup in 2016 when it was it was his determination uh, that, that won them the, the game against Palace. He was absolutely furiously tracking the ball uh, to cross for the for the winning goal, so I think he's uh, a, a player who who they will admire and, and like. Derby County, on the other hand, they seem to play every blooming year. I mean, um, they, I think they played them three times in the cup in the last three seasons. Last season. Lampard was in charge and uh, Derby won on penalties in the League Cup. That's a good subject for another time. The team that your team is sick of playing in random (laughs) cup competitions. Uh, I'm sure we got Northampton in the League Cup about six years in a row. Anyway, let's have some lovely music and a song for Europe with Nina Rizuki. Mina, tell me about the Classico. What was the result? Because I haven't seen it. And uh, what, what sort of a game was it? Not okay. a classic, I've heard, or is written here on my notes by Joel Grove. <laughs> right. If you, if I was going to tell you you had to put money on one team winning, which would you? Well, I know Real Madrid won. I've uh, been slightly disingenuous. Oh, damn. Um, I thought that that was a very normal thing. Like, I put money on them winning as well because, you know, I think that it's been made abundantly clear, which people seem to continue forgetting, um, that Real Madrid are favouring the league this season. That's what they want to win. Um, Zidane has been accused of always, well, Real Madrid in general have been accused of a team that know how to win the Champions League, but can't really manage it in the marathon that is La Liga. Barcelona have been the reliable source when it comes to that. And it's been made abundantly clear that this is what they really care about. And I thought that when they decided to not play Cruz. Zidane said against Manchester City that it was a technical decision. No, it's not. You know very well that the Classico is coming up. You know that if you lose that, you're five points behind and that was just going to be terrible for you. So you decide to save Cruz for the Classico because that's really what you want to win because the Champions League has been done and dusted three years in a row. No one's going to match that for a while. So... Um, Either way, they started off really badly. Barcelona were very good in the first half. Um, And then Real Madrid basically came back in the second half, started to press better. They raised their center of gravity, started to really go for it. And Vinicius Jr., who is a guy who's great at, you know, sort of, he's a bit of like a Saint Maxima, like, you know, lots of good sort of actions and then bad decisions at the end maybe, um, came up with a goal. And everyone went crazy obviously because it was at the Bernabeu and then it was Mariano Diaz who got the second and uh, Madrid won. But it wasn't an exciting game because you couldn't see like tons of talent on there. I think both teams have been a little bit disappointing this season. Both have been in and out. Uh, Both have lost key players, no Hazard. no. There is that lack of quality. I know there's Messi there, but it's almost like Messi feels like he just doesn't exist without the, the, the horribleness that is Ronaldo opposite him, where they can both just take each other on and there's that exciting competition. And then you look at it and there's no Hazard, there's no Bale, there's no Luis Suarez, there's no Ousmane Dembele. It just seems a little bit void of everything. So a little bit dull, maybe. Uh, another slightly dull occurrence in Germany this weekend where Bayern Munich won 6-0 at Hoffenheim, but the teams just passed the ball to one another for 13 minutes after there was a, a banner in the crowd. Can you, can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So basically what is what this is, is I know everyone knows about the 50 plus one rule in German Bundesliga, which is that clubs, you know, the fans... And 50 plus one, they have the authority and they have a, a say in their clubs. It's about the ownership. About the ownership of the club. Of course, three teams have bypassed this and have, you know, either the backing of a company or a wealthy owner. Hoffenheim is one who has a wealthy owner um, who has been sort of paying for them for over 25 years, which is why they were able to bypass the 50 plus one rule because he's invested so much money in over such a long uh, stretch of time. And he, his name is Dietmar Hopp. And people are really angry about it. Dortmund have often showed how much they hate it um, and they hate him and they hate the fact that this goes against everything that's organic and beautiful about the Bundesliga, which is their history and and the fact that these clubs come from cities that everyone cares about and this team is 
has just come up from nowhere with lots with a billionaire owner and um, is, you know, climbing they while well, they got promoted every every year until they reached the Bundesliga, obviously. So Dortmund's away fans got banned for two seasons from going to Hoffenheim um, because of how much they seem to hate them. And then there was a, an incident last um, week with Munchen Gladbach, who also showed a banner to show sort of loyalty and fidelity to the Dortmund fans, being like, we also disagree with this, with this billionaire owner. And obviously that happened as well with Bayern. And people are like getting really angry about it. The players are like, take down the banners. We're just going to pass the ball like this because this is not what we think is is right. We don't think that you should be saying these things. They're really horrible, the banners. Um, and it's caused this sort of debate because Mönchengladbach's sporting director came out and said on a day where there's been uh, racist shooting, um, and and we're, we're we're doing a minute silence for this. You know, do you really think this is the right way to react? People are like, don't confuse this with racism. They're two different things. It's about a billionaire owner and and this. But I do want to say that when it comes to Hop, I do think Hoffenheim have been a well-run club. I think they've given people their chances. Nicolas Sule, who is a Bayern player and a defender, grew up in Hoffenheim. Um, Nagelsmann has come from Hoffenheim. They've they've invested well in in their academy and collecting data and trying to do the best that they can. So I don't think they're a side that have just come in and be like, yeah, we're targeting Champions League, baby. So mm. I don't know. Yes, uh, lots of games off in the Corona uh, virus. Oh, it's a mess. As the coronavirus spreads in Syria. Um, how long is this going to go on for? I mean, I suppose this is the question we're all wondering. Uh, well beyond football, there's a lot of mess about it because you know they were saying they will close the play the games behind closed doors uh that would now they've decided to actually not do that and postpone it this is one of the reasons is it's the David Italia which is the biggest game of the Serie A season and it is between Antonio Conte's Inter and of course Juventus his old team old management going back to the Juventus stadium this was going to be a, a game that basically put Serie A back on the map and Everyone was really upset about it being behind closed doors, so they decided to postpone it to May 13th. This is angered Inter, who were like, uh, that means we're playing basically nine games in a month. Um, and then the league came out and was like, listen, Inter, we told you you can play on Monday. You don't want to play on Monday because there's a Coppa Italia match, so what do you want? Inter's responded being like, this is so provocative. So there's just all this madness about, you know, and then other clubs are like, why are we playing behind closed doors if Juve don't have to play behind closed doors? So it's a, a, a giant mess. We'll keep an eye on it. I'm sure it's a story which will run for several more weeks. Let's finish up by talking about Carlo Ancelotti, who was sent from the bench in Everton's draw with Manchester United. Uh, and I want to ask you all, what is your favourite ever example of a manager losing <laughs> his or her temper on a touchline? We had some good responses to this on social media, but I bet some of them are what you're <laughs> going to say. So I'll save yeah. them until you've given me your answers. Jim. What do you it, it was Arsene Wenger being sent off at Old Trafford and ending up in the crowd, surrounded by baying fans, with his arms spread out wide in a kind of messiah posture, <laughs> with everybody giggling around him. I thought that was a magnificent yeah. picture. Yeah, definitely in uh, the all-time list of excellent things Arsene Wenger did. Mina? I think it's every time Jose Mourinho's on the pitch, really. Um, <laughs> Did you see that thing recently where he'd realised his assistant had told him yes. that a player was on the oh, booking? Yes, and he switched from like completely relaxed really to... Really happy, drinking his water to just run. Yeah. Um, also, the, the finger poke at Tito Villanova. Oh, that was that bad. Was, that was bad. That was a naughty moment. And chasing the, chasing the assistant down the tunnel at uh, at Stamford Bridge. That was Oh, yeah, Sadie, right? right? Well, yeah, that was, that, was, that was great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, he's a, he's a naughty man, isn't he? He's is good fun. What yeah. have you got, JJ? Oh, well, the, my, uh, the best one I've ever seen was um, so Mark McGee, who I'm sure you're aware of yet. Uh, so he used to play for Aberdeen. He, he was part of the team that won the Cup Winners' Cup in 1993, wouldn't be Real Madrid 2-1. Just thought I would make sure that was notified. And, uh, <laughs> but he was part, so he's like an Aberdeen, you know, a hero of the club in his playing days. And um, he came to be a manager, did well as a manager. Um, I, I think he was at Motherwell, did really well. Uh, was meant to get the Celtic job. That didn't get a Celtic job, took the Aberdeen job instead, and in his first press conference, he basically went, "Yeah, I kind of wanted Celtic, really, but you know, maybe I can get there after <laughs> this." So everyone started hated him. He's really um, comes across quite very arrogant in a lot of things he's done, but uh, he got sent off. Um, when Aberdeen beat Motherwell 7-2 and he was a manager and the funniest bit was he got sent off into the stands and you could, he did not want to go into the stands uh, and all these fans are just laughing at him going ah and they're I mean a yard away from him and he goes up and there's a policeman standing next to it as well and you can see he's looking at these guys and he says something you can, you can google it and he swears quite a bit but he's obviously trying to he wants to 
have his have a say, have say some words to these guys, and uh, goes to motion to maybe do something to them, and then watches the policeman has to stop, and then everyone else around him just starts laughing at him again, and he's stuck, just watching the game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the ballad of Mark McGee. Oh, well, well done. Original answers because we had from Twitter. I mean, Luke was one of uh, was Jim was close to Luke who said this should surely be just a collection of Arsene Wenger's best bits. Tony nominates Jack Charlton at USA ninety four, saying oh. Aldo John Aldridge with the assist. Uh, Luke again uh, might be a different Luke. Who knows? Has to says. <laughs> Luke, again, it might be a different Luke, says it has to be Louis van Howard pretending to dive. Old Trafford clearly <laughs> oh, yes, uh, a very, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, very fruitful place for these incidents. And Kim says, Arsene Wenger versus Martin Yo, Big Martin had the beating of him all day long. Lovely business. If, like me, you're very interested in football, but recklessly uninterested in grown-up things like news, politics or pandemics, I've got some excellent news. As a listener to Audio Football Club, you can now get 50% off the price of a sport-only subscription to The Telegraph. That will allow you to read every article by our brilliant team of football writers, like two of the people you've been listening to today, Jim White and JJ Ball, plus lots of others, Jamie Carragher, Sam Wallace, Jason Burt, Crestfallen Villa fan Matt Law. Yep, all of them for just £20 for the whole year which is down from the normal price of 40 pounds and that will even get you the rest of our fantastic sports writing in the olympic year no less who knows maybe you'll end up even liking rugby you have until the 15th of march 2020 to access this special offer to sign up head to www.telegraph.co.uk forward slash a f c t or you can just click on the link in the show notes that's your lot for this week. You can contact me before next week's episode if you would like to. On Twitter, it's at Tom with an H. Gibbs, always the same. Send us an email too if you'd like to. afcpodcast.telegraph.co.uk is the address. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to Audio Football Club either. Look for Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcast and take it from there. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 